and welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Daryl Grove and I'm joined by a man who's a little less Scottish than he was this morning. <laughs> His name is Taylor Rockwell. Hello. Hello, my little what, unicorn. What's the implication that every time they lose, a little part of it falls away? Yes. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you disown whatever Scottish ancestry you've got every time they lose a World Cup game. <laughs> exactly. That's how it works. But then it comes right back up every time I, I hear a bagpipe faintly in the distance. Is that right? It just yes. rekindles. Exactly, yeah. yes. All right. Um, so you had haggis for lunch? <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> so we will be talking Scotland's um, unfortunate loss to Japan. Have you ever had haggis before? No, I haven't. Okay. No. Is it just intestine? Because if so, I've had I've had I've had sheep intestine before. Now that I think of it, it's some part of the stomach. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. But I'm sure we'll get to meat as else. a vegetarian. That's like it's like oh yeah, right. next level meat that. to be eaten. Forgot about that. <laughs> so there's that scavenger meat. <laughs> scavenger meat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, you ready to talk some soccer? I suppose uh, we'll talk Scotland Japan later. Let, and we'll also, you'll be talking to Caitlin Murray later with the yes. U.S. Women's National Team preview. This is true. Uh, they play what Chile on Sunday at noon Eastern. Um, but first. Let's talk about the other British country mm-hmm. that's in this World Cup, England-Argentina. Mm. Um, England faced Argentina. I kind of expected a lot of goals. And once again, Argentina frustrated me. Yeah, I, I think... Wait, is that frustrated <laughs> you because you won a lot of goals for England or just because, once again, Argentina were like resolute in their defense in a way that maybe we didn't see coming? The answer is yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think... It was interesting watching with you because there are so few moments where Daryl truly embraces the like fandom a little bit, and there yeah. were moments in this game where I could tell that you were getting a little bit agitated. Uh, and because well, I mean, this yeah. was be, un, until um, until Jody Taylor scores mm-hmm. that goal, there was a missed penalty, and we were trickling towards maybe some sort of frustrating nil-nil draw. Yeah, and and it had familiar symptoms of. What we always go back to in these moments. England, Don't say England, Iceland. England, Iceland. Oh! There it is. It's what it reminded me of, of that sort of England going up a, against a very resolute defense, not necessarily too focused on attacking, definitely focused on counterattacking in moments, but for the most part, staying back, being defensive, blocking off options. Yeah. And I think England struggled with that. Yes, they get a penalty. I think that's one of the few times they went direct. Yeah. But I think the fact that they found a way through, and I genuinely think did so through some very clever soccer yeah. should be a very positive thing for you so overall. So the fact that they, they solved this riddle, yes. essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can we talk about what the riddle was, what Argentina sure. were doing? So it's a 4-5-1. Yep. It's what they rolled out against Japan. A 4-5-1 mm-hmm. with Solo Jaimez, the striker, would often come back and make it like almost a 4-6, yep. right? And essentially, every time England went down the flanks, which is where the space was, they would have enough numbers over there that it was kind of impossible. You couldn't overload, right? Mm-hmm. England could never, even sending Lucy Bronze on the same wing as Nikita Paris and like pulling another midfielder over or pulling Kirby over, they still would just send enough numbers yeah. that it was at least 1v1. And then it seemed to me that there was no combination England could do that would open enough space to play a ball into the box that was easy to attack, yeah. right? Because there were just n- numbers, just Argentinian numbers crowded into the box. So any type of cross, England were outnumbered. Any type of low ball in, it was hitting Argentinian mm. chins, right? And, he, and, that even, was, and that was disciplined defending. It absolutely yeah. was. And I would say even uh, to the extent like like the play that leads to the penalty yeah. is a play that was kind of replicated in other moments in the first half, which yeah. is kind of ball into the box, cut back for another England player. She runs onto it and then tries to square. Yeah. And so in those moments... cuts it back for left-back Greenwood yes. and onto it. Yeah. yeah, but like throughout the first half, I felt like it was sort of that cutback was blocked out even then. Even inside the box, even yeah. like 12 yards from goal or 8 yards from goal, there were still a number number of Argentinian bodies in the way that yeah. made that ball at the very least difficult if not impossible and I would even argue for the penalty mm-hmm. in the first half yeah first yep. half um, if Bravo hadn't like caught Greenwood when she slid in if she just stayed on her feet mm-hmm. and ran with it to the end line 
there's nowhere for Greenwood to go. Like nope. if she tries to, she, Jill Scott's mm-hmm. maybe open, but if Bravo's uh, stays with her, she's in the way. People are in the way of Jodie Taylor. There's there's no easy ball for Greenwood to play. So no. Bravo essentially w- lost her discipline and went to ground, and that's why England had a penalty kick. It is. I would say, while you're blaming Argentina, I would give credit. I'm kind of credit in them for their defensive display. That's fair. But yeah. I would credit uh, Houghton, the center back for England. Yeah. Uh, because this comes about from. Like, His penalty? She, yes. She gets the ball. She plays it like diagonally long into the box. To me, Yes, thank you. It's settled by Mead, cut back for yeah, Greenwood. Check, you know, check with me. I, I, got it. I will. I but, got it. but that ball is the type of pass that, going back to England losing to Iceland, England didn't attempt. They didn't attempt those kind of direct balls that cause problems, that yeah. ask questions of their opposition. Yep. Here, Houghton did, and it caused problems. It's it, really about the direct ball and the trailing runner as yep. well, right? That's what opens it up, at Absolutely. least enough to win a penalty kick, yes. even if it didn't actually open up that much space. It did not. <laughs> it did not. But it caused problems. It caused a moment of chaos, and in that moment of panic, you have Bravo going to ground in an yeah. ill-advised way, and I loved, I think I said not this... Not Bravo. A, no one should Bravo Bravo for no, that. No, no. But I, I think I've said this like 15 times now, but I love that in the replay, you can see her do the like no 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 it wasn't a foul and then the referee points to the spot and she's like yeah okay it was a foul like, <laughs> like, like she she folds on that one real fast you gotta try right you, you do i no, suppose no blame on her for, for arguing <laughs> against it right no um, should, should we talk about the penalty miss sure. so nikita paris steps mm-hmm. up she scored against scotland if yep. i remember against scotland she banged it top left corner yep this time she goes medium height to the right and not all the way in the corner it's the, sort of um a classic bad penalty. Yes, it is. Is that fair? It is, because she hits it Harsh at the, but fair. It, it, in the, probably the worst possible position that like is most easily savable. Yeah. But I also think she thinks about it a little bit. And I think in the first one against Scotland, I think Paris makes the decision, hits the ball, backs herself, scores the goal. Here, just the way she ends up taking it and the fact that I don't think Correa... Uh, guessed with this one. The commentator said she guessed. I think she reads this one. We had a few tweets yeah, about she this. Didn't, she didn't move until Paris strikes the ball. No. Right? So I think she reads the direction of the ball yep. and goes that way. It yeah. just has enough reach to get there, especially because it's not put out of her reach. There That's why you don't go towards the middle. Yeah. That's why you go for the corners because it's out of the goalkeeper's mm-hmm. reach. And, yeah. and and the reason why goalkeepers guess is because if they think the player is going to smash the ball into the goal, then they're trying to just kind of guess yeah. to see if they can make a play on it. The fact that Correa reads what, what Paris does and is still able to get a hand to it I think is very revealing about the amount of power and placement behind it can we talk about what happens next sure so Jody Taylor is there for the follow up mm-hmm. and really has a chance to rebound and score yeah and it, she just got all her body shape wrong and almost just chips it off target. Yeah, I mean, I think she's trying to get her hips around it. I think she's kind of away from the goal a little bit. Yeah. It's tough to falter because she is the first one to react to it, and we watch the replay. I That's don't true. think yeah. she uh, infringes. I don't think she steps into the box prematurely. So I think she's just trying to make something happen in that moment. And there is that level of, like, like the adrenaline is up. You're trying to make a play. There's a bunch of players in the way. She doesn't end up making very good contact, and it goes out for a goal kick. Ooh, mm. but it's okay because she scores the only goal. She does. In the second half. It's kind of okay. She has a few other opportunities. She has the one uh, early into the second half that she definitely should have done better with. She's wide open at the top of the six-yard box. It hits it right to Korea. So I I missed that live, Mm -hmm. um, but you said that that moment, the way that England created that chance for Taylor, even though she didn't finish it, this is like 55th minute? um, Yeah, 56, I think. 56 or so. Um, So 56 exactly, excuse Mm. me. Um, This gave you hope that maybe England have figured something out or I think England will be able to solve this riddle. Yes, because... Contrasting it with the like, Houghton ball into the box that led to the penalty, here it was England sort of playing out of pressure a little bit, catching Argentina a little bit stretched, and then playing very quickly in yeah. a way that I think they didn't do a very good job of in the first half. It was lots of one and two touch passing. It was a good another good Houghton ball in to feet, but then it was a layoff and it was a turn. And it was a little bit of skill. Like Frank Kirby has a bit of skill to just like shake yeah. a couple 
defenders mm-hmm. off, and that's what kind of opens everything up for. Well, does it end up going down the right turn? Nikita Paris, yep. who can hit a really good cross, yep. essentially. That yeah. lands it on Jody Taylor's head, right? But that's that's one of the few moments uh, in the game, or like up to that point, where I think England started playing really quickly, and you yeah. did start to see Argentina scrambling a little bit, and people not being quite sure where they yeah. need to be defensively. And it's, it's weirdly still a credit to Argentina that for England to just create enough space for Nikita Paris mm-hmm. to be up against a fullback and have room to cross. It was kind of an achievement to make that much space. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I think That's so. what England sort of weren't doing so much in the first half and finally managed to do in the second half. But essentially, a bit of trickery and playing quicker. Yes. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and, and I think that, yeah, so again, you see the kind of quickness of the play, how that leads to a chance for England. The thing I also said to you at, like around this moment, or maybe, maybe after the fact, is that this, I think for you and for England fans, maybe I'm a little bit biased because you're here and you're an England fan, so that kind of like affects me but yeah. I do think that this maybe this goal is a sign that England will go deep in this tournament because this goal? Oh, you, the, the goal. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. because it has all the hallmarks of something that we would see from say Manchester City this past season which is a, t- a team can hold on and hold on and hold on and when they make one mistake that's when England uh, excuse me Man City in the like Premier League case yeah. can punish them and here Argentina make one mistake and England come right back down and score so let's talk about that mistake mm-hmm. what is that mistake it's basically committing way too many people forward it, and it's going for an attack right and yeah. strangely that's the thing is like it's going for an attack and committing four players forward basically yeah. but that's all it takes so the setup is Argentina were in as we said like a 4-5-1 mm-hmm. that includes three central defensive midfielders right Benitez central Mayoga to her left Bravo to her right um, essentially Argentina have a bit of an attack I think Jaimez holds the ball up Mm -hmm. England don't clear that well an Argentinian midfielder maybe Benitez collects it drives forward gets tackled Mm -hmm. but then I think the key decision here is that when Benitez gets tackled especially the top of the England box right Benitez thinks all right like this is a chance to maybe win it back high. We can do a bit of counter pressing here. So Benitez goes for it. Mayorga's with her. You've got uh, I think Benini is up there. I think Solo Jaimez is up there. And suddenly there's just way more Argentinian players committing forward than there's ever been throughout the entire mm-hmm. game. So when they fail in the counter press, because England pass quite calmly, right? Yeah. I think like defensive midfielder Moore gives it to Houghton, gives a quick pass to McManus, who then give like gives it to Jill Scott, who has time to just receive it in that defensive midfield spot, turn and go. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, where they used to have four defenders and a bank of five they've got four defenders scrambling backwards because yep. they've been creeping up the field and they've got essentially just Bravo on her own mm-hmm. trying to face off against the entire England midfield and then it's the first mismatch yeah and then she I think tries to step to Bravo, Jill Scott but yeah. then Bravo because like where she was was kind of taking Kirby out of the play when she steps to Scott yeah. Scott swears to Kirby and now Kirby can drive at the defense and that's the thing with not having the numbers right suddenly it's literally 2v1 yeah. Scott v Kirby in midfield and uh, it feels- Scott and Kirby versus Bravo where it used to be like Two or three versus five. And it feels a little bit to me like like handing of the baton where it's like like the ball gets passed, drives forward. The ball gets passed, drives forward. And yeah. it just feels like as soon as Argentina think maybe they've slowed it down, it's just a quick little like lateral pass and suddenly England are yeah. away again. And Kirby does really well. She starts yep. driving at the defense mm-hmm. and the Argentinian right back, uh, Sachs, mm-hmm. I think panics and joins her center backs in going after Kirby. Yeah. And this just leaves Meade left wing yep. wide open, mm-hmm. right? And I think she wouldn't have made this mistake if everything was back and set because you're scrambling backwards you have to make quick decisions and you worry about who's got the ball and who's coming at you and you can make a bad decision and suddenly Beth Mead is wide open to receive that ball in the box with room to play that yeah. ball in but I would also say I think you're absolutely right and I think you got to put it on Sachs and, uh, but also the other centre back to some extent but it's also the case that I think that's the correct position for her to be in for 
every minute of the game until now because usually she has five Argentinian players yeah. in front of her. So even though she's tucked inside, she, a right winger maybe she has a right winger who, yeah. can, who can deal with Mead, but here she doesn't. And so I think she's doing the usual rhythms of what she's been doing this game. Yeah. It's just now she doesn't have that cover. So only once the ball starts going to Mead does she realize, oh, I should probably spread wide. Yep. By then it's very much too late. Oh, but in a weird way, it's a very basic defensive mm-hmm. mistake for just two people to go to the ball and leave one player wide open, right? This is what I was worried about with Argentina when I did the preview. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, th- I mean, yes, Yes, it is in the sense that there needs to be better communication in that moment. But I think I go back to if their entire game plan is built on keep a compact shape, don't get stretched out if you're that back four, stay together, stay basically inside the 18 from one yeah. side to the other. Then you, I, I have a harder time faulting her for then not okay. immediately knowing to step out. All right, then if we're not faulting Sachs, let's credit Mead. I think we because absolutely should. the ball that she plays in yep. is the perfect low ball. Mm-hmm. In. It bends sort of, it's got a bit of curve on it, right? So it bends in and away from, like, from the defenders and then back towards Jodie Taylor at the mm-hmm. far post, where it's easy for Jodie Taylor yep. to just tap this home, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, so it's, it's a good finish. It's a better ball. But overall, the sequence of the kind of winning the ball back from England, quick passing to pull Argentina a little bit further forward, then quick passing to play their way out of it, then a quick t- counterattack that all feels very, not like pre-programmed necessarily, but it felt like everybody knew, I'm making this run off the ball, I'm making this run off the ball, I know yeah. where I need to be, I, I know where I need to pass. Sync, right? Exactly. Yeah. That's the better way of putting it. Not yes. in the like Justin Timberlake band kind of way, yeah. more of the synchronization kind of yeah, way. Yeah, we don't need to talk about Justin Timberlake. <laughs> <laughs> right. Or anybody connected or to him. The, uh, who else is in that band? Nick. Oh, I'm not Shane. talking about that. I'm talking about his significant other. Oh, yeah. We're going to yes. move on. We're going to move on from yes. that. Yes. Well, let's yes. just say she's wrong. Yes. <laughs> um, all right. So, 1-0 England. Uh-huh. They don't score any more goals. Are we? Do you do you see any concern in like not running the score up on Argentina? Or are we learning that Argentina is a tough team to score against? I think that. I think we're yeah. learning that Argentina is a tough team to score against. I also think... I, like I said, once England scored, like, well, that's the game. And I had very little confidence that Argentina were going to be able to muster an attack. Yeah. I also think that if they've been playing super defensive soccer for 60 minutes at this point, they're not then going to kind of spring this ultra-attacking soccer. So I think... That's true. I wondered if... Because we haven't seen Argentina go down mm-hmm. before, right? Because they yeah. tied 0-0 with Japan. Um, I wondered if going 1-0 down like with, what, maybe half an hour to go just yeah. over, they might be like, all right, let's go for it. Yeah. And you would see Argentina open up. And then probably get hurt on the break. Yeah. I think they were smart not to do that because it keeps their goal difference low. No, they still have one point. If they somehow beat Scotland mm-hmm. uh, in the final game, they've got a chance of going through in third place. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so here's well, my place, here's it? my extended analogy for why it shouldn't be a problem for England, though. Is like I have this all the time where if I'm like baking something and there's 30 seconds left, I will like look at the clock and say like, okay, 30 seconds left. And 10 seconds later, I will have that like. Uh, you know what, 20 seconds, it doesn't matter. I'll just pull it out of the oven right now. And, like, I, it's just 20 it's seconds. so Tyler Rockwell. It really is. I know. But, like, but I think if you're England in that moment... Just look at Twitter for 30 seconds. I, you, yeah, I should do that. But then I'll end up forgetting and, like, wandering off, and then the whole thing will catch on fire. But, like, but I think if you're England and Argentina do maybe start to go for it, then you kind of sit back, you look to counter. But if Engl- if Argentina don't go for it, then there is that moment where you're like, well, maybe we should start pressing. Maybe we should start going at them. But then you leave yourself exposed. And it takes that discipline, I think, oh, for, for those for those th- 30 minutes to not open the oven, to not pull the thing out. But just to sit there and be like, okay, if you're not going to attack, we will take a 1-0 win. It might not be pretty. Yeah. It might be a not very fun final 20, 25 minutes. Uh-huh. But it gets the job done. Can I raise an England concern then? You may. Um, the one thing that I really noticed from Phil Neville's starting lineup for this game mm-hmm. is from the first game, he switched out his goalkeeper and his centre forward. Yeah. Right? So Bardsley started the first game, Telford started this game. Ellen White, not Ellie White as I accidentally mm-hmm. called her, we heard from someone in the know that she, prefer, she prefers the more formal, Ellen yep. White, um, started the game against Scotland, scored a really nice goal, the second goal, is replaced by Jodie Taylor as the centre forward here. The thing I don't know is, 
does Phil Neville not know his first choice goalkeeper and centre forward? Because they have switched back and forth in the games leading mm-hmm. up to this and you know, throughout qualifying and stuff. Or is Phil Neville picking it as, all right, Telford's better for this game and Taylor's better for this game? You know, do you know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. Is it horses for courses or is it just squad rotation? I don't know who starts, so we'll just go, you start this game, you start the next game. I mean, are you looking to me for an answer here? I'm looking, I mean, not for a definitive answer because yeah. neither of us know. I'm looking to, for you to speculate maybe. Sure. I mean, I can throw out some speculation, which yeah. is that I do think against Argentina, you probably, if you're Phil Neville, you prepare to have more numbers committed forward, including your center backs, which maybe leaves you vulnerable to like long balls over the top. So maybe there's a chance that Telford is better coming off of her line or quicker coming off of her line or better with her know, feet. And so maybe that's where that change comes we into play. We did see her also be really good in the air, a couple mm-hmm. of really good punches. So maybe up against the threat of the very tall solo Heimers, yep. maybe Telford makes more sense. But again, I don't know if Telford or Bards is better in the air because I haven't seen enough of either of them. I guess we'll see how we progress into the next game and the next round. Well, speaking of the next game, so England played Japan, mm-hmm. and it like England need to not lose that if they yep. want to top the group, right? That's how that group shakes out. I think because Japan have four points, mm-hmm. right? Um, England now have six. So if Japan win, they have seven, and yep. England have six, right? So it's a must not lose game. So do you start Taylor or White? Do you start Telford or Bardsley? So maybe we see? Maybe we see. Because uh, I, I don't really have a strong opinion one or the other. I thought Telford Neither did fine today. Neither do I. That's the today. problem. And maybe that's Phil Neville's problem as well. Yeah. They both look good, right? Yeah. Taylor looked good, White looked good, Telford looked good, Bardsley looked good. That's why we're not the England managers. <laughs> Phil Neville can figure it out. We'll see what he does. Although, and then we'll criticize it or agree with it after the fact. Although we're almost as qualified as Phil Neville was when he took that job. That's probably true. <laughs> All right. Two more games to review. Yep. And Kellen Murray to talk to. Lucky mm-hmm. old us. But first, today's show is sponsored by... Green Chef, a USDA-certified organic company that makes eating well easy and affordable with plans to fit every kind of lifestyle. That's right. They let you choose from a wide variety of easy-to-follow lifestyle with select organic ingredients. Recipes are quick and easy with step-by-step instructions, tips, and photos to guide you along so you don't end up kind of running into like, well, maybe there's two minutes left, but I'm ready to eat now. I was about to say, when it's on the recipe card yeah. and it said this many minutes, mm-hmm. I'm assuming you follow that and you trust Green Chef. Yes. Trust the Green Chef. I do because thus far their meals have well, been... Well, I assume it's Hulk. Yeah, that's fine. It's Hulk in uh, an apron. It is. That's as well it should be. And I would pay to watch that happen. <laughs> that's a movie I would see. Yeah. Um, but I, like, it, it's because it, thus far their meals have been very good. I've enjoyed all yes, of them. And news. so I have more of an inclination to like follow the rules exactly and not add my own stuff. Because I tend to then I'll be like, why not? I'll throw some red pepper oh, flakes in there. Oh, you a freestyler? Yeah, a little yeah, bit. Yeah. It's, not, it's not the best way to cook. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, yeah, I like it. The but recipes not in these do moments. seem very well thought out mm-hmm. and the ingredients are very well selected. Yep. So, yeah, you want to trust the, trust the recipe and... And make it look like the picture. Yeah. And, and I appreciate that because... <laughs> Not the picture plus, oh, red flakes. I mean, you know, you can throw some red pepper flakes <laughs> in for most dishes. Uh, maybe even a cake. Give it a little spice. Um, <laughs> oh, no, no. no, but like I have also, like there's been uh, some like different ingredients that I've been used to. And so I've enjoyed sort of getting more familiar with that. And that is like the advantage to uh, a service like Green Chef is that yeah. it, it allows you to cook with things that you wouldn't otherwise have the familiarity with or have the inclination to cook with. Yep. So then later on in life when you're like, oh, yeah, I know how to use Farah or whatever like that. <laughs> like you, you can kind of throw that out. And I also appreciate that my wife is very busy studying for the bar. We've been in the office quite a bit, so it's a very like easy way. Everything comes together yeah. very quickly. You're sitting there waiting for you in the back. Exactly. Right? But then yeah. you don't end up eating, uh, say, Mexican food every day from the Mexican restaurant across the street, oh, which who, is what otherwise might happen. Who would do such a thing? There was a period when you weren't here when I think I ate Mexican like four days a week. Yeah. Not great. There is, I, don't, I hope you don't mind me sharing this, but there is a thing now where – if we're going to go and pick up Mexican food, mm-hmm. you will make me go because you don't want them to think that you go there too often. Well, no, it's usually I will only make <laughs> you go. My face too much. I will only make you go if I went there the day before, <laughs> which, which which is definitely like a thing that happens occasionally. Not wearing the same thing to school two days in a row, kind of thing. 
A little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Only this time it's covered in Mexican food. <laughs> Here's the other mm-hmm. thing about Green Chef, seasonally uh, sourced yep. ingredients. So you know that these ingredients are in season, so that means they're fresh and tasty. Yeah. It's not been frozen somewhere. This is, like, this is what's in season. This is what they're making the recipes mm-hmm. with. And a very nice feature is that you can get uh, a little bit of money off uh, <laughs> because Green Chef is advertising on the Total Soccer Show. For a total of $75 off, that's $25 each of your first three boxes, go to Green, Green Chef. Greenchef.us, I always want to say com. Yep. Uh, Greenchef.us slash TSS75. That's greenchef.us mm-hmm. slash TSS75 for $25 off each of your first three boxes. Mm-hmm. Um, it is also worth mentioning that um, people may be confused because they've heard us talk about like a home cooking thing yeah. before. We also do advertise mm-hmm. HelloFresh. Thing is, HelloFresh and Green Chef are related companies. They have the same ownership group. They're not really in competition. It's more like if you want to switch back and yeah, forth exactly. between one and the other, then you can do HelloFresh one month, Green Fresh the other month. Yeah. Yeah. I want to try a little paleo one month. You know yeah. what? I want to eat some greens yeah. this time. Yeah. I want to find out what keto is. Let's do that this month. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I like agriculture. I'm going away from paleo this time. <laughs> Keep agriculture in business. There we are. Uh, and I guess keep Scotland in business in the Women's World Cup is not a thing Scotland that's going to happen. Yes. So, yeah, the first game this morning was Japan versus Scotland. Mm. Japan coming off that frustrating draw with Argentina. Scotland coming off a loss to England. Both teams had needed a result, essentially. Only one team got one. Yeah. That team was Japan. Mm. It finished 2-1 to Japan. Two goals in the first half. A late, I'm going to say just consolation goal yep. for Scotland in the 88th minute from, from Cleland. Yes. That never really felt like the beginnings of a comeback. I mean, it, it did in the moment because I wanted it to. But no, you're right. <laughs> and it was also the case that Your it was... Your inflated again? A little bit. Yeah. Uh, it, was, it was also like Japan making more or less an unforced error leading to that goal. We yeah. can talk about that or not talk about that. It doesn't necessarily matter to me. But I think we probably should talk about how Japan, I think, got the lead and held on to the lead, uh, especially since uh, they're going to be playing some stiffer opposition in their final group stage game. Oh, yeah. So uh, maybe how teams can deal with that is worth so, mentioning. I don't want to be too harsh, but mm-hmm. this, this first Japanese goal, the Iwabuchi, goal, yeah. which is the strike from distance if you've seen it. It's, re- it's a really, really nice goal in the 23rd minute. Mm-hmm. This is a mistake from Corsi, yes. the Scottish captain um, and central defender. Yeah. Straight up, right? Mm-hmm. So Sagita crosses it in. Um, Corsi wins a header, but really, she could have just cleared this a distance, or yep. she could have maybe chested it down and restarted possession, but instead she just nods a header back into open space that is just the space that Japan want to attack anyway, mm-hmm. right? It doesn't nod it to a teammate, just nods it down into open space. And it's and it's it's the kind of lack of, I feel like, confidence in that moment of, yeah. it's, you're in a World Cup, it's a, kind of a make-or-break game. If you're Corsi, I, you don't necessarily like think you have the time to chest this ball down and volley it clear, even though she definitely did. Yeah. And so you go for the kind of immediate act, which is heading the ball, but because you've kind of waited to make that decision, and then you go for the header, you don't get a lot of power behind it. So instead of being a like, powerful headed clearance or even away from any sort of Japanese player, it basically goes right back to Endo, who yep. collects the ball and then drives at the Scottish defense. So Endo drives at the Scottish defense. Weir mm-hmm. gets dragged over because she's thinking, oh no, this is a problem. But Weir leaves Iwabuchi yep. to do so and then gets nutmegged. Yep. So Weir steps to her, like legs open, ball goes straight through. Mm-hmm. So then Iwabuchi receives the ball at the top of the box. And really has the reason she's able to hit this beautiful shot that goes like roof of the net is because she has time to just you know take a touch, size it up, yep. 
blast it home. So it's definitely not great from Weir getting megged. I would say it's also not very good from Beattie. Yeah. Uh, because Beattie, the other Scottish center back, uh, essentially once this ball goes to Iwabuchi, I don't know if Beattie just thinks she's, there, she's not going to be able to get the ball at all or doesn't see the value in making a play, but she sort of instead stands where she is, maybe six yards away from Iwabuchi when the shot is taken. farther than that. And maybe is nervous about getting a handball, so the hands go behind the back. Yeah. She tries to block the shot, except she doesn't really because she, she turns, turns her back. back as the shot comes in. Yeah, this is not... But BT will not want to no. see this moment again. What she should have done is none of those things. She should have gone charging out to like block the shot, right? If, if she put her... I mean, yes, she should have. But the realistic like scenario is that if she had just put her hands behind her back and not moved and sta- stood straight up, that ball hits her in the face and it hurts, yeah. but you still block well, the shot. Or maybe the torso, but yeah. yeah. But and instead, isn't she screening her goalkeeper as yes, well? I think that's part of the that. problem because the way she's standing is directly in the line of sight of the of between Alexander. the ball and, yeah. the, uh, and the goalkeeper. And, and it ends yeah. up with like like if you see the like the angle from behind Ibobuchi's shoulder, it looks all the more damning because you have BD turning her back and it kind of going where her face would have been, as I said. But then you can only just see the little like outstretched hand of Alexander just in the background, and then it just goes over and dips into the goal. But it doesn't. It's not like a lot of swerve to it. It's not bending into the top corner or anything like that. It, it's just yeah, Alexander screen. It makes Alexander look bad, right? It does. But it, I think it's not her fault because, as we said, BT is essentially screened. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So 1 0 oh. uh, to Japan. We should add really briefly that there was, in the lead up to this, there was uh, Scotland called for offside. There was some consternation amongst the commentators because it didn't seem like it was an offside call, yeah. but we think it was like even further back than the replay showed. Yeah. So essentially, people thought it was maybe Ross running offside and she wasn't, but we think it's Arno, the left winger, yeah. who had basically gone really deep then checked back but mm-hmm. when the ball was played in she, yeah. she was offside she was mm-hmm. coming from a deeper position um, and then I think there's that thing of we're not going to flag for offside we're going to no. see if things develop into a goal and then we'll look yep. at it later when this didn't develop into a goal then they flagged for offside yes. right so there may be some Scottish fans who are thinking oh this is really unfair it starts mm-hmm. with uh, an offside that shouldn't have been it should have been so I don't think you can feel too aggrieved about that one because it should have been, as Daryl said. Uh, I, I do still think Scottish fans can have a little bit of, of frustration with the, oh, penalty, the penalty decision. Mm-hmm. Yes. So uh, uh, Sugasawa yep. uh, wins and takes the penalty kick. Yeah. Um, there's a, like a long ball comes in for her, and it's, it's Corsi again, mm-hmm. uh, who definitely puts her left arm on mm-hmm. uh, Sugasawa's shoulder. Yep. But we don't know if there's enough contact for Sukasawa to go down like she does. Is that no. a fair way of saying it? Here's what I will say. I will say two things here. Number one, I do not think there was enough contact. I think she puts her hand on the shoulder, and it's it's to me more, of course, tracking the ball, but also needing to know where the player is. So you do a little bit of like a touch to know where your distance is in relation yeah. to the player, but you're still tracking the ball. And then as soon as she feels it, I don't see like a grab. I don't see a pull. I don't see the jersey move around very much. So I think there's contact there. That's where I feel kind of like Scottish fans could feel hard done. Yeah. But the other thing, as we've said many times on this show before, is don't put yourself in a position where the referee has to make a call. Yeah. And if you look at it, the referee is sort of like slightly behind and to the right of the play. And so it absolutely looks like Corsi grabs that ar- the shoulder of Shugasawa and pulls her around and throws her to the ground. Yep. Even though she didn't from that angle, it's going to look like she did. There's one great camera angle as well yeah. where you essentially see it from almost the referee's perspective, yep. right? And it, it looks a lot worse from, from that angle. Yes, yeah. it does. And does she just give this straight away, right? There's yes. no VAR that like gives this, overrules her and gives this. Right. If anything, if anything VAR checks it and essentially agrees with it because... Yeah. There is enough there. There is a kind of a foul because you're not mm-hmm. supposed to grab people by the shoulder. Yep. But it looks like, like you said, she didn't really grab her really hard, not enough for Sugasawa to go down. Mm-mm. But she did. And if she was simulating or not simulating because something did happen, but 
selling it, mm-hmm. she sold it really well. She did. Right? She did. Yeah. Uh, yeah I'll give credit where credit is due. She it's could sell me selling. a New York Times subscription. Yeah, she could. <laughs> she could indeed. And then it's it's a well-taken penalty. It's 2-0 Japan. It finishes 2-1. I don't know how much we want to get into, and we should add Tsukasawa takes the penalty, so yeah, well done yeah. there. Um, I don't want to go too much in-depth on Scotland's goal because, as you said, it's kind of a consolation goal. It doesn't necessarily matter. Aside from that, I think for, say, if you were England – and you were still had yet to play Japan, you could take some pointers from this game. What pointers would you take? That if you put Japan under pressure, especially in their defensive third, it seems like they can be kind of pressured into some giveaways. And that's basically what this is. It's a bad giveaway that's picked up by Cleland, and it ends up in the back of the net. Uh, I think it's Ichise tries to uh, square the ball to Miura. Yeah. And, or, Mi- Miura, I think. Miura? I forget. Uh, but either way, it's square to her. It's picked up by uh, Cleland drives it in, scores the goal. And I think if you're England, maybe you look at that and think, we put them under pressure, we kind of push the numbers forward, maybe we back ourselves to have a mobile goalkeeper, and we're just fine. Okay, mm-hmm. so yeah, there's the plan for England. Sure. I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to that game because I want to see England properly challenged, yep. right? And I think Japan will be the best team like mm-hmm. based on these results so far. Miura. <laughs> you still want to get the presentation right? Yes, yeah. uh-huh. <laughs> I do, I do. Um, all right, well, that finishes 2-1 uh, t- uh, to japan yep i just want to quickly pull the standings up because mm-hmm. i'm always interested in knowing what the standings are after all these things i can tell you who are bottom is it scotland it is scotland yeah yep. all right so two games played in group d for mm-hmm. everybody england are top with six points japan a second with four points argentina third with one point scotland bottom with zero points Meh. yeah yeah we're not done with scotland we'll talk about them later on when we get to some statistics from this tournament is so far. that right yeah okay uh, all right but we've got one more game to talk about and we sure it do. is jamaica italy mm-hmm. it finished 5-0 to Italy. Yeah. I think we learned a lot about Italy in this game, and I think we learned that even better than we thought they were. Yes, 100%. Fair? Yeah. I mean, I, I, th- I think we talked about this off air, but I will say it here. I think two of the goals scored by Italy are two of the best like team build-up, possession-based goals that we have seen in this tournament so yep. far. Uh, yeah, I absolutely agree. I, I would say the fifth one, the Galli goal, mm-hmm. with the through ball from, oh, what's her name, the central defensive midfielder, uh, Giuliano, mm-hmm. um, with that through ball, that's my favorite goal of the World Cup so far. Really? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Do you want to start there or do you want to start at the beginning? Uh, let's start at the beginning. Are okay. we going to go through every goal real uh, quickly? It's up to you. Yeah, I think it's every goal because it, okay. it tells the story and we've, mm-hmm. we've got just enough time to do it. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so here's an interesting thing. Mm-hmm. Italy go out with a different formation yep. to the one that they used to face Australia mm-hmm. um, in the first game. They've abandoned the 4-4-2 and gone with, I'm going to call it a 4-3-1-2. Yep. And what this does is instead of Bonacia, their best player, playing left midfield and then getting forward, she's essentially playing left forward, right? So she is way farther up the field. Mm-hmm. Um, Sabatino is her strike partner and then Girelli, who seems to be the star striker at this point. She gets a hat-trick in this game. Yep. Is wearing number 10 and really playing as a number 10 um, on top of a base of three midfield, right? And it really, really worked. It did. At least because for the first goal, it's Bonancia really far up the field, applying a bit of, of pressure to a Jamaican defender and just straight up robbing her of the ball. It's yeah. Campbell, right? It's right Campbell. Back. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I would add, like, I, I did want to ask you, though, do you think this approach from Italy is sort of what we'll see against maybe slightly weaker opposition and then maybe a good stronger opposition they go back to a slightly more defensive shape? I'm, I'm going to say yes, just because that's the evidence so uh, far, that okay. Australia is the stronger team. They went 4-4-2. Jamaica is the weaker team. They go 4-3-1-2. I kind of hope. I, I don't know if this is the smartest thing for Italy, but I kind of hope Italy just back themselves to be a good team and keep doing this yeah. because they were really fun to watch in this game. So what's their final game? Brazil? 
Yes. Yeah. Well, that Come would be, on. That would be the decision. Go at him. End to end. But yes, uh, to, to your earlier point, uh, Bonantia rubs Campbell, drives into the box, taken out by uh, Swabi, and then it's not given, but definitely should have been given, and eventually is given via VAR. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Swabi, if you haven't seen this, it can look like Swabi's just coming in mm-hmm. with a nice like sideways side tackle and takes the ball. But when you see it, it's more like she yeah. lunges across and just goes full Full power into what it would be Bonancia's right thigh. Yeah. Yeah. Right? yeah and completely takes it. I mean, and she gets the ball in the sense that she gets Bonancia's leg, which then gets the ball. <laughs> but that's not quite the way you have to do it for and it to be a legal challenge. Here's the frustrating thing Swabi had done everything right. Yep. So after Campbell had taken that loose touch, Bonancia rubs her. Bonancia loves, she always starts on the left, uses her right foot to drive inside. Mm-hmm. That's what she starts doing. Swabi got her positioning correct and managed to drive Bonancia to the outside on her left foot. You really got her where you want her, where you want her kind of just hold her up there mm-hmm. and you'll be okay right just run her to the end line hold her up everything will be fine I think Swabi's just too essentially too keen to win the ball back and I saw later in the game I also saw a lot of moments of Swabi going to ground and winning tackles I think it's just kind of a thing she likes to do yeah, yeah. But, and uh, but, I know that instinct as a defender I know that instinct of I'm just going to go charging in and win everything yeah but like maybe we've stumbled maybe upon the box, but maybe we've stumbled upon like a vulnerability or an opportunity here is that it does feel like even veteran defenders in this moment, because it's the World Cup, because it's such like a, a heightened stage and a heightened emotional state, I think, like you maybe some of that, like, okay, I'm doing it right. I'm shepherding out of bounds. I've got good position. I'm going to make a play. Like, I do, I do think if you're an attacker, maybe the goal here is like get into the box and then see what the defender does. Because yeah. it seems like more often than not, they'll have a bad headed clearance or they won't step or they'll panic a little bit or they'll maybe get a little too handsy and it leads to a penalty. But I think, yeah, you can maybe, uh, if you're an attacker, just see what that defender does. Because if you invite that pressure, it seems like it kind of leads to some rash decision making. The only thing I disagree with is when you say veteran defenders, uh-huh. that applies to Italy with, yes. say, Gama. Um, Swabi's 22 years old. Well, yeah, there's that. Yeah, and she only has like 20 games as a professional. Yeah, I think I was going back to, to some of the Scottish players with some of their decision-making. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah I mean, Corsi and Beattie are pros, mm-hmm. right? There yeah. you go. Uh, <laughs> yes, but here, it, so then it's a penalty to Italy. Uh, uh, it, and then it seems like maybe it's going to be all good. Girelli steps oh, I up. I this is a whole controversy. Right? Yes, it yeah, is. Girelli steps up. Uh-huh. Schneider saves it. Yep. Her second penalty mm-hmm. save of the World Cup. So everyone's feeling good about it. It's called back. It is. The referee calls it back, right? It's she not, does. I don't think if it's even VAR. It's I, I, I think, think, she I, think I think it is VAR because I think oh, there's okay. a challenge. I think she does hand to the ear and then turns around and points back at the spot and yeah. then gives the yellow card. So is this controversial or not? Is this one of those things where Schneider did take a step yep. off the line uh, before Girelli strikes it? Mm-hmm. Um, and the rule is, the new, the new rule is, right? This yep. is a rule that came in in June is the keeper must have at least one foot either on the line or level with the line mm-hmm. when the kick is taken. Yep. And I would argue that um, this rule has been explained to every keeper so mm-hmm. far before every penalty kick. If you've noticed, every time there's been a lot of penalties in this yep. World Cup, right? The referee talks to the kick taker, talks to the uh, players outside the box about encroachment, and then talks to the goalkeeper, usually for quite a long time. So I yep. feel like she's explaining this in detail. You've got to have this one leg on the line thing. And so, therefore, it's going to be enforced. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this and, is the and, new reality, and it seems harsh because it's a young goalkeeper making a big save, her yeah. second save, as you said. But the reality is, yeah, you watch the replay, you can freeze frame it. Her feet are off the line; yeah. it's going to be called back. It feels harsh, and it, then there was the point that like there were some Italian players who had encroached. Yeah, but and they that's had. the rules, I believe, are that yeah, then you call it back and you retake it again. They retake it. I think for the most part, everybody like does their best to wait until the, the kick is taken. Yeah. This time it ends up in a goal for Girelli. And here's, I think, a bigger point I want to mention is that people will say, this happened a bunch in the past, right? Mm-hmm. Keepers would come off their line before the kick is taken, 
and it would hardly ever, hardly ever mm-hmm. be called back. They would get away with it. Yeah. I think what they've – this is my take on it. I think what they've done – what IFAB have done with the new law is – liberalized it a little bit so it's not you can't leave your line until the kick is taken which I think is what it used to be mm-hmm. right so saying that you've only got to have one foot on the line means you can take a step forward right yep. so they've given goalkeepers a bit more leeway but then because it's a new law that literally came into effect June 1st they've enforced it really hard yeah so it's like we liberalize it but then we enforce it it's like making marijuana legal but taxing it <laughs> Yeah, you yes, know what I'm saying? I think so. Like you, you liberalise something, but then you like regulate it and really enforce it. Now you made me paranoid that there are cameras everywhere watching me to see whether or not I'm doing things right. <laughs> now I'm a little bit nervous. But you get my point that that's yes. why this that's why this feels unfair. But it's because it's the new it's yeah. the new reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it also feels unfair again because it's a, a young goalkeeper who everybody yeah. wants to see succeed. Yeah, and instead it goes against the narrative. Uh, doubly goes against the narrative with Italy getting a second goal, and this was sort of. At least in the beginning, the narrative of the story of the game for me was sort of like Italy get the penalty, then it's retaken and they score. And then this goal, it's sort of like an unintentional goal. Yeah. Say. Like certainly every goal everybody wants to score. I want to say this is the most accidental goal of the World Cup. Ah, Australia might like a word with you with some of their goals from yesterday. But yes, <laughs> uh, it, it's definitely in the top five. Or, yeah, top five, I'd say. So here's the, the very brief uh-huh. description of it. I don't think we need to go into too much detail, right? No. But it's um, Giuliano, mm-hmm. the, uh, who might be one of my favorite players, the very busy central midfielder for Italy, number 23, keep an eye on her. Um, she takes the corner kick, very good at crossing. We'll talk about that later. Um, Balancia goes to meet it and tries a really cute like backheel mid-air mm-hmm. flick, completely misses, yep. right? does not touch the ball at all. Girelli goes to take it on her thigh, miscontrols it, and it just goes in. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, yeah, it's it's like a thigh hip sort of like thrust into yeah. the goal. And There's no way she was aiming for goal with no. that, right? She was trying to kill it dead in yeah. the box and then sort of – she was trying to be Miedema for mm-hmm. the Netherlands. Do you know who will say that she it. did it on purpose? Oh, Girelli? That's correct. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yes. why not, right? Yeah, exactly. She, she gets a hat-trick either way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she, maybe let's not spend too long on that goal no. except to say that I almost don't blame Jamaica for it because there's so many like – like accidents in it that everyone's confused mm-hmm. about what's going on in this yes. goal. Yeah. Uh, let's instead go to the third Italy goal because that's the one where, similar to like when England did score against Argentina, I said to you that that's the game over. I yeah. didn't necessarily think Jamaica were going to fight back and find a way to get two goals or even three goals, but I thought maybe they'll change some things up. We'll see how this half goes. And then Italy score one minute into the second half, and that feels like pretty much all she wrote at that Is this point. one of the goals that you think is like one of the best of the tournament? 100%. Yeah, I think, mm-hmm. didn't you actually, you and I re-watching it sat here and said, mm-hmm. oh, this is the best goal of the tournament? It's really, really great. And then there was the Gali goal later And on. then that was even better. <laughs> okay, this is where we start looking at maybe Italy's a really, really good team yeah. because of the high quality of play in this goal. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Fair? Yeah, yeah. because it's, it's just, it's, it's a lot of what you want to see in attacking build-up, where it's the technical ability to kind of bring the ball down under pressure, to turn under pressure, to find space. You've got a lot of physicality in some of the battles that happen in this one. We're going to yeah. go through it, I think, step by step. Okay, but like, yeah. like, like the physicality to win those battles, but then like just in some incisive passing, some physicality to win the header. It is a lovely goal from start to finish. Uh, it starts with Girelli, yes. uh, who ends up scoring. Doesn't she basically, there's a loose ball, and she not traps it, but she meets it and like, Kills it dead and plays an almost toe poke pass backwards. Yeah, she all basically in one motion, yeah. but all deliberate. Not like, a, absolutely not she's in a, control. Sorry, I keep interrupting you. Yes, ex- you're describing it perfectly. I'm just yeah. very excited to talk about this. But yes, <laughs> she she basically knocks it back to uh, Bonancia yep. with with her first touch. Bonancia, I think, squares it to Chernoa, yeah. who is the one that you spotlighted, right? As yeah, like, Chernoa. I think of as like she wears 21, yeah. and I think she either does or has played for Juventus. Mm-hmm. So I think she's very like. I'm Perlo. Yes. And so, watch me play. And she kind of plays like yeah, Perlo. Yeah. But that's ch- I know people don't always love like uh, women's soccer comparisons to male players, but mm-hmm. when someone has clearly modeled their game on yep. a hero that they have, 
I, I think it's worth noting. And as we said, left-footed. Something about a left-footed, yeah. like cr- like creative but holding midfielder. Yep. Love it. Uh, and I love what uh, Chernoa does here because thus far it's been like very quick touches. It's one touch back to Bonantia. It's I think it's one touch from Bonantia to Chernoa. Yeah, and really- Chernoa then just takes a touch, pulls in some defenders, and then squares it one more time uh, to uh, Guanyi. Is that- yes. Yeah. But it's not like a simple square, right? No. Guanyi is the right back. Mm-hmm. and she-, she loves to get forward, but she's making like a charging run from right back. And Chernoa... Bends it around a couple of players and directly into the path mm-hmm. of Guani, who has to put herself between the ball and the defender to make sure she gets there. She holds off a defender as she receives it, but also continues her momentum as she receives it and charges forward. It's a beautiful yep. technique to be able to take this at pace and keep going forward. Yes. So that I think that moment, the Chinoa to Guani uh, switch, is my favourite move within this because it's the... It's the thing that breaks everything open because it's the thing that's technically really hard to do from both players. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I'm with you. That's yeah. all. That's all excellent. But then I love how it's thus far. It's been like very like silky passing and technical work. Ball goes wide to Bergameski. Yep. Bergameski has to cut it back. She like absorbs a big challenge. Just kind of she bodies it off. It. Holds onto the ball. Drops it to uh, Juliano. Giuliano. Giuliano, sorry. I can't read my own handwriting. Giuliano is the Uh the player that took the corner kick, the number 23 midfield, who's super busy and Mm -hmm. super good. And it turns out it's a a cross worthy of Francis Marjorie. I don't know what that means. She was my favorite crosser in the whole tournament. Okay. We talked about the other day. Oh, there we this, go. Thank you. This cross from Giuliano. I was so confused for a moment. This cross from Giuliano is up there. Oh, Francis Marjorie. Yeah. Got you. I thought you, said, I thought you said Francis Marjorie, and I was like, I don't know who that is, man. Francis Marjorie. Yes, now I'm with she you. She will have her revenge on Seattle. And I, I, yeah, she will. <laughs> Um, but it, I like Maji's crossing. They tend to be like sort of more direct, sort of a little bit more driven. This one is uh, from Giuliano. It's just a moon ball, but it's like a one but time, targeted. one time yeah. from the channel targeted to that back post. And it causes a lot of indecision from the Jamaican defenders. It causes a lot of uh, indecision for Schneider, the goalkeeper. The only player who I think doesn't hesitate is Gali, who starts the move and ends it by getting in there. Girelli. Is it Girelli? It's Girelli yeah. for this one. No, it's like yeah. Galli comes on uh, and scores two. But yes, yep. Girelli uh, completes her hat trick with just a, a solid header. It's not like dominant power. It's not charging through and knocking somebody off the ball. It's just keeping position, knowing where she is in relation to the goal, not being distracted by the players who are kind of flying around her but failing to make connection with the ball and yeah. instead just puts it in the net. Uh, and if anything, Schneider doesn't do well here. No. Jamaican goalkeeper, she comes out, goalkeeper, she comes out and tries to punch mm-hmm. and just misses both ball and player. Yeah. I mean, yeah. and, I guess and she shouldn't be aiming for the player. Misses the ball. Yeah, she misses the ball, <laughs> and and really doesn't even kind of get into a position where she's going to be able to take that one cleanly. Yeah, you can't really fault her because she's just trying to make a play, and I think if she doesn't, then it's kind of an uncontested header for Girelli. Yeah, but it still uh, doesn't look good uh, on the film. But everything about this goal does because oh, it's like it's quick great, passes, right? like clever technical moves, good fight to hold onto the ball, an excellent cross, a great headed finish. Here's what I'd say, if you're one of those people that maybe didn't see this game and just mm-hmm. is listening to our review to like get caught up on the World Cup, I would argue try and find like the full minute or so before mm-hmm. this goal, right? Don't yeah. just go and watch the highlight because the highlight you might just see the cross on the header. There's a good chance of yeah. that, right? Yeah. Um, try and make sure to go and see it from the minute Girelli wins it and starts the move to Bunsen and you yep. can see the sort of crossfield play. You you'll thank us when you see it. You will because it's one of those goals where in the lead up to it, like we've done this before when we go back and watch a goal and we're like, we know it's in the the 58th minute and we'll go to like 57-20 and the other team has possession and we're like, how is this happening? Yeah. Like that, it's one of those here where we, it seems like Jamaica have it kind of sorted out and then suddenly they're under pressure and then suddenly it's a goal. All right. I'm going to uh, keep our momentum going just like mm-hmm. Italy did. I'll quickly describe the Gali goal. Mm-hmm. So Gali comes off the bench, wearing number four. I've never seen her play before. 
and she very quickly became one of my favourite players in this tournament. Yep. So she comes on and plays that like centre right mid mm-hmm. role that was filled by uh, Bugamaski. Mm. Um, so here's what happens with this goal. It's Bonancia. Yep. It's Bonancia on the left, doing her thing, cutting inside with the right foot. Jamaica know about this, obviously. They all crowd over there. Too many of them crowd mm-hmm. over there, right? It's like she's Maradona against Belgium, where they're <laughs> surrounded by defenders. And Bonancia very wisely uses that sort of... She's got that thing that special players have where you know that you draw players towards you. Instead of trying to dribble through all those players, you use them being drawn towards you to your advantage mm-hmm. and just squares it to Gali, who yep. hits a beauty of a shot first time. Because yep. she has space to do so because everyone's looking at oh, everyone's over there with Bonacir. Exactly. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a well-worked, beautiful, possession-based goal. It can just be a smash and grab, and that's yeah. kind of what this one is. So that's her first goal. For the second one, we go back to the beautiful technical soccer. Oh, there's, yep. so, there's so much going on here. So, mm-hmm. okay, this is the second Gali goal. Yes. Jamaica have the ball. Jamaica are charging just over the halfway line, yep. like going forward. Um, it's Chinoa, yep. number 21 that we talked about. Apply some pressure. As soon as the pressure is applied, Bartoli, who's mm-hmm. come on and played right back, she's coming up right back, sees the pressure and Alive sort of to steps. It immediately. Yeah, that, that's mm-hmm. the thing I really like about the beginning of yep. this is that they're so in step and in unison that she knows, okay, pressure, I'm going to step, right? Okay, she receives the ball, gives it to Gali. Gali gives it to Chinoa, and then Chinoa pulls a move, mm-hmm. right? Where she just, a quick change of direction, moves, it's almost Busquets-ish, right? Or Frankie de Jong-ish. She moves players out of her way mm-hmm. by going one way and then plays the ball um, to Giuliani, yeah. Giuliano excuse mm-hmm. me, afterwards. Meanwhile, sorry, it's ended up being me describing this goal. Well, I'm, I'm going I'm to jump in here just to say that ball from Chernoa. I want to like give a little bit more credit, like not that you haven't, but just the way, because it would be easy in the moment to think like, okay, like Jamaica are a little bit stretched. Let's just go at them. I'm going to drive forward. And Chernoa, I think, takes her time, recognizes the pass isn't quite on yet, pulls it more central, lays it to Giuliano. And I think that pulls some Jamaican players out. It yeah. creates more space. It's number six, Solowan, who I had like, highlighted as maybe she's one of the best pressers that Jamaica has. Mm-hmm. So she's the, maybe the best equipped to, yeah. to close things down in midfield. Absolutely gets like fooled into going the wrong way here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then lots of people get fooled by the pass from Giuliano. And that's oh. what we have to talk about here because yes. she gets this ball and I have no idea how she spots this space but she we did the counting we think if you're going with like a packing stat of how many players are taken out of the equation by one pass I think five Jamaican players yes. are taken out At by one 30 so yard pass two midfielders two center backs and a left back yep right because mm-hmm. then it goes into the path of Gali who you, we mentioned was like deeper in the play had yep. just made one quick pass after she makes that one quick pass to Chinoa Gali just takes off. Yep. Right. She really just takes off, mm-hmm. streaming, and so she ends up going what between the left back and the left centre back. Yep. Running in behind, calling for the ball, um, and the exact right moment is when Giuliano plays, slides this ball through. It's yep. the the best pass of the World Cup so far. Mm, oh, a hundred percent. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. And then and then. Credit to Gali because she, uh, excuse me, not Gali. My wife corrected my pronunciation, just Gali. Uh, but she basically like could have. You just say the same thing twice. I don't I, even know it's the difference. I hope I said it a little bit better. Okay. But I don't know. We'll find out. Gali. Um, anyway, because uh, <laughs> she scores the first her first goal with like you know a smash, as you said. It's mm-hmm. well struck. It's a lot of power behind yeah, it. Yeah, it's a strike, isn't it? It's and, like an outside of the foot strike. Right? Yes. It's and so here though that like. While running at full speed, she receives this ball, rounds the goalkeeper. One takes, touch, right? Takes another touch to get herself in a good position and then finishes it, I think, with the outside of her right foot. But it's still just the control at that pace and the awareness to get around the goalkeeper but still create separation from the defenders and then calmly finish without rushing anything or taking too long. It, it's a wonderful finish but a wonderful play. So listeners may have gathered mm-hmm. that we are becoming huge fans of Italy. Yes. We think that they're... Literally one of the the, the the top teams in the tournament right mm-hmm. now, I think, right? Yeah. 
I mean, beaten uh, Australia yeah. and they've beaten Jamaica. We mm-hmm. maybe know more. They suddenly have a disaster against Brazil. Maybe we'll see some um, what some of the shortcomings are. But I don't see them right now. I see mm-hmm. a, a really functional team with a lot of really technical players who are capable of pulling off beautiful moves. Uh, I'll, I'll give you one one kind of reality check negative thing. Uh, Gama, the center back, who we've talked about previously, yeah. I thought she had a, a solid game. She put out fires. She got kicked in the face by uh, Buddy oh, Shaw. But she had one She was. She had one or two of those moments that we talked about in our preview where she goes to kind of step and challenge a player and just kind of basically dives in yeah. and gets beat, and she ends up making a uh, She's like a two-footed jump forward yes. uh, step, right? Yeah. Which I feel like is a habit that she has that maybe isn't great, but mm-hmm. she's so good at everything else. I I think it's okay. Yep. Yeah, but I but I think in those moments she had players Until who Marta's kind of dribbling out exactly her. she had players to <laughs> scramble back and kind of bail her out, and also in that moment Jamaica didn't go direct and try to punish her for that mistake. They went yeah. for like a kind of half-hearted cross or another move. And I think if if there was a little bit more ruthless opponent, like some of the Brazilian players we've already talked about, yeah. that could be problematic. Here's what I think Gama is really good at, though. It's it's not that. It's mm-hmm. not that step tackle. It's even not stepping out and winning things. Yeah, it's I just everything else. Her centre-back partner, uh, Linari, their mm-hmm. partnership is that Linari is the one that steps out and wins things. Gama is better essentially reading the play seeing what's going to happen and snuffing it out. So mm-hmm. she's more the player of like, if something goes in behind, she gets across and just like clears it or heads it clear. There's a, there's a moment after that, mm-hmm. the, the step tag you're talking about, where she gets her head to something to stop it being yeah. a problem, right? Mm-hmm. She's much better as essentially a, I guess sweeper is maybe the word, like she sweeps up danger in behind yeah. as opposed to steps out and stops things before they start. Right. So she's a, she's a reader, not a stepper. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I can buy into that. That's fine with me. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and that is nitpicking because again, we're talking about an Italian team that have won both their games so far. Yes. So well done to Italy. Oh, not looking great for Jamaica though, right? Not so much. No, no goals scored mm-hmm. and conceded eight so far. Mm-hmm. I guess just being at the tournament is glorious for Jamaica. I just hope they maybe get at least a goal. I'd like to see Bunny Shaw get a goal. I would like that, yeah. too. Mm-hmm. I am also liking that we sort of have tomorrow off. Uh, we're going to not be in the studio tomorrow for yes. the first time in a while. We'll be back Sunday to review the uh, U.S. game against Chile, as well as all of the other action from Saturday and Sunday. Many, many games. Mind if I quickly run you through the Saturday games? I've had it, my friend. Right, so in the morning, it's going to be Netherlands-Cameroon, 9 a.m. Mm-hmm. Friday morning. Um, in the Saturday afternoon, morning. Saturday morning. Uh, in the afternoon, Canada, New Zealand at 3 p.m. All right. Yeah. Rosie White, back in action. Go Come on, him. Rosie. Go get him. Score some goals. <laughs> um, yeah, so then we'll be back Sunday to review Sunday's action, which is USA, Chile, and... Sweden, Thailand. There we are. Yeah, um, yeah so all of that Sunday evening. Um, but to help us preview that game, we have Caitlin Murray coming up. But before that, we should talk about today's sponsor. Oh, sorry, before we do get to that, mm-hmm. you, know, you don't like to do the We're not going to do that yet. I like to do the group standings uh-huh. again. I forgot to do Group C. I want to do Group C because it's interesting. Ready? Mm-hmm. Group C, guess who's top? Who's that? Italy. Yep. Italy are top of Group C with mm-hmm. six points. Brazil have three points plus two goal difference. Australia have three points, zero goal difference, so they're third. And then Jamaica bottom uh, with zero points. Mm. That is not how we expected that group to look. Not so much. Right? So apologies for interrupting. I really just wanted to make sure people knew the stand-ins in Group C. All right. And how Italy good they are. One more time they are? Uh, Italy top with six Mm. points. And then Brazil and Australia second and third with three points each. All right. Goal difference? Between those two. Mm -hmm. uh, Plus two for Brazil. Uh, zero for Australia. All right. That's Just make, making sure you've got it all yeah. in front of you. All right. Is it because you were so angry I interrupted you that you couldn't listen first time? So you asked me to repeat? No, well, I just wanted to get all of my stats. Oh, okay. I just wanted I it all you. for sure. I wanted oh. it all for sure. Well, if you like stats, then you'll love... You've listened to the show before, right? We, 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 inter- we interrupt like 40 million times a show. So I, I I'm not too worried about it. If you do like stats, you should maybe yes. go to fbref.com who mm-hmm. is sponsoring today's show. Um, FBref are stats experts and they have started a soccer website mm-hmm. called fbref.com. They have. 
and they're keeping all kinds of stats for the Women's World Cup. They are. So they've got the group the group breakdowns. They've got individual match uh, statistics. I also enjoy that they have a league table, basically, of the uh, 24 teams participating. They've kind of put them all into one table. If oh, you want to look at a, it that way. Like a season. Can you guess who are top of the table right now? Is it Italy with two wins? It is Italy with two wins. <laughs> six points and a plus six goal difference. Can you guess who are second? England have two wins? They do. They are not in the they're not in the top two. They're they're in there with six points. It goes down to goal difference. Who else has two wins? Who scored know. a lot of goals in the first game? I don't know. In the very first game? Oh France. There you go. Yeah. France, uh, six points plus five. So Italy ahead on goal difference by one goal. Yeah. But flipping to the bottom of the table, can you guess who are very bottom of the table? This is where having only played one game kind of works against you. Oh, Thailand. Yeah. Thailand, very bottom. Then Jamaica with uh, no wins, negative eight. Yeah. Korea, no wins, negative six. Scotland, I think, are the fifth worst team in the tournament right now. Ooh. Yeah. Kind I of a bummer. I do have a lead table because then at the end you can see how everybody, you can see how everybody did. Right? Yeah. Yes. You can also see uh, combined goals and assists so far in this tournament. Can you guess who's top of the table for goals and assists as an individual player? Alex Morgan. That is correct. Yeah. How many assists did she get? Uh, she got three. She has eight. Plus, yeah, eight. So she was involved in eight of the 13 goals. She was. Sam Ewis was involved in four, two goals to assist Megan Rapino involved in four or three is three one goal to assist yeah. so the top three players in the World Cup right now in terms of goals and assists all American players oh mm. okay I've just got one stat what for you, got? you um I looked up who has committed the most fouls um in this tournament Ooh. one specific player it's not someone I expected mm. but it kind of makes sense when you think about it all right um, do you want to take a guess or do you want me to just uh to can you give me you? the national team or can you Nigeria oh I have no is it is it the player that you spotlighted it's not the centre back. Okay. No. Then no, I have no idea. It's Rita Chiquilu, the midfielder. Okay. She has committed six fouls, which is the most in the tournament so far. And I think it's because Nigeria did that thing where they sat back a little bit mm-hmm. and counterattacked. Ah. So it's a lot of uh, Chiquilu uh, winning tackles. But I think when you win tackles, you also commit fouls. Right? Yeah, You've got to be a little bit rough to, just to, to make sure you get it done. That's interesting, though, because that's why I like stats like that and, and sites, like, right? sites you, like FB Because you would think, oh, it's like the dirtiest player. But it also, yeah. yeah, but it also then helps you to sort of think about the team in a different way because you yeah. might then be like, oh, well, I guess they are committing a lot of fouls, which means they are kind of breaking up play a little bit, which means maybe that's part of their game. And it kind of, yeah. kind of helps you understand what the team is doing all the better. Yeah, so there you go. Those, those are your stats from fbref.com. numbers. There's a link in the show notes that you can click to go to fbref.com. It's like a referral link, so they'll know that we sent you. Um, you can also sign up for the newsletter, which is in the navigation bar. Click on the newsletter, and you'll get stats delivered to your inbox every single day. Women's World Cup stats, you'll get mm-hmm. delivered to your inbox. Thank you to FBref. Not just random stats from around the world? Yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> not. Well, you can find you can find baseball or basketball or whatever um, elsewhere on the site. Um, the velocity of a coconut laden swallow. Excuse me. Oh, <laughs> is that Monty Python? I think so. <laughs> Can't remember to, if it's coconut or not. Thank you to everyref.com yeah. for sponsoring today's show. Mm-hmm. Taylor, what do I need to know before listening to your interview with Caitlin Murray about the U.S. Men's National Team and their upcoming game against Chile? They're one. They won, and they're kind of tired of answering the same questions. Is about <laughs> is about the gist of oh, it. She's, the great thing about Caitlin is yes. she's been there and mm-hmm. she's been on the ground. She's been at all the media stuff. I imagine, yep. right? So yes. She knows what's going on. All yeah, right. but I think when you destroy your first opponent, then have a pretty sizable gap, and then you're playing another team that you're maybe expected to beat, I think the kind of questions get a little bit repetitive. Yeah. It's not quite like you're preparing for Germany or even Sweden. You're preparing for Chile. So I think, again, the kind of questions have rotated back to some of the ones that are more familiar. So we yeah. stay away from that. We look at more so kind of the attitude coming out of the game against Thailand and then maybe some of the like rotation we may see, some of the changes we may see, some Ooh, of the takeaways. Lineups. Yeah, we I do. I love some lineup mm-hmm. talk. All right, sure, I'll stop interrupting then and we'll, we'll get to it. Here's Taylor talking to Caitlin Murray. 
With me now, once again, I've got Caitlin Murray covering uh, the Women's World Cup for the Guardian, I think specifically the U.S. Women's National Team. Caitlin, thank you very much for taking the time yet again. Of course. Always happy to join you. Uh, and I, I know it's been a, a fairly hectic schedule for you, but I wanted to go back to Tuesday for a moment to start off. Uh, I'm wondering like, what the atmosphere was like uh, as the U.S. women kind of romped to that victory and maybe what the reactions were in the press box as well. <laughs> um, yeah, that was an interesting game. And um, yeah, it doesn't really even feel like going back to Tuesday because my mentions are still filled with people arguing <laughs> about those celebrations and the goals and whether, you know, the U.S. were being jerks or not. So it, it really feels like that game just ended in a way. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I think there was a lot of excitement to finally get going. The U.S. versus Thailand game was literally the last game of the first mm-hmm. uh, round of the group stage. So I think, you know, journalists, fans, players, everyone was kind of excited to just get things started, get things rolling. Um, expectations were low for Thailand, but I don't think any of us expected the game to turn out the way it did. It just kind of turned into less of a soccer game and more of just like a party <laughs> that the players were having on the field. I mean... I'm sure you talked about it with Daryl. Mm-hmm. I mean, at one point, you know, just looking down, it looked like Abby Dalkemper was like the only defender yeah. back there. Like they were just they were going for it. They were hammering the hell out of Thailand and just uh, enjoying every minute of it. So very festive atmosphere for sure. And and actually to stick with Abby Dalkemper for a minute or that kind of formation change, do you, is that a thing that we should maybe kind of expect to see against a bunkered opponent uh, going forward is almost like a 3-1-5-1 or I don't even know how you describe that one. But yeah, like basically Dalkemper kind of as a center center back, almost a sweeper. And then maybe Julie Ertz uh, in this case ahead of her is that something you think we'll keep seeing yeah i mean the u.s sort of plays i mean technically what they play is a 4-3-3 but the way crystal dunn gets up the field it kind of looks like this asymmetrical formation where they're playing with a three back anyway it's kind of uh somewhere in between you know crystal dunn playing as a fullback or a wing back or as a midfielder it's kind of this unique thing that jill ellis has decided to do um so i i mean i think we are going to see the u.s take an ultra aggressive approach and you know we saw in this game that once they realized thailand was barely going to touch the the ball they just decided and let's just you know throw everybody up there um i think the u.s will try to be as attacking as they can possibly get away with um but i mean we've talked about this before the more attacking they get the more they risk themselves Mm -hmm. and you know with a game like this you know you talk about takeaways and like what did we learn from this game and the main answer i had going into this World Cup has still not been answered, which mm. is, is this team defensively sound enough? Will they be able to, you know, track back and not get exposed? And, you know, we definitely didn't get any answers there. So I do think they'll be as attacking as possible. Uh, I still am unsure if that's a, a great idea. <laughs> is, there an, is there an argument to be made, which I think I made, so I'm hoping you'll say yes, uh, that maybe like <laughs> they kind of 
all-out attacking approach is in some way a form of defense. That like if you like, I, I was I thought it was interesting that the United States, even if the even if the goals didn't come off, which was rare, but uh, if there was a moment when maybe Thailand got the ball back, it felt like the United States put on a lot of pressure very early and very high up the field, and that led me to wondering that maybe if like that is the way they're going to try to approach this, that instead of like sitting back or dropping deep and then letting kind of their opponent come at them, is maybe trying to win the ball back higher up the field and and keep the pressure on whomever they might be playing. Do you think that maybe is a possible explanation for what they were doing, or do you think it's more so they kind of scented blood in the water and really went for it? No, I think that's right. I mean, I think counter-pressing is a big part of what this team does. You know, as soon as you win the ball, try to get it back. And that, in doing so, you're limiting those transition moments for the other team. And you're, you know, and if the other team doesn't have the ball, they're not going to be able to score any goals. That's true. (laughs) Yeah, I think that is definitely part of it. It's the pressing and, you know, they talk about um, attacking from around the field. So it's not just the forward line the goalkeepers part of the buildup. The defenders are part of the buildup. Mm-hmm. They talk about, you know, attacking as a unit. I think it's true with defending. I don't think, um, you know, like you said, this isn't a team that is going to sit back and absorb pressure. They are going to defend by trying to win the ball back high up the field and, you know, getting into those battles um, and winning the ball that way. So, yeah, I think um, – it might be a little simplistic to say this is just an ultra attacking team. They don't focus on defense. Um, although I think it is kind of the shorthand way to explain the team style. Do you think uh, you mentioned earlier that this was like like the last game to kick off in the first round of the group stage that U.S. had to wait? There were lots of kind of repetitive questions. It felt like they were just sort of in a permanent holding pattern until they got to play. Yeah. Meanwhile, France started off with a pretty emphatic win over Korea. Do you think maybe there's a chance that there was an element of like the United States wanted to make a statement of their own with that first game? And that's yet another reason why we saw them be so ruthless. Yeah, I actually asked. Kelly O'Hara that specific question in the mix zone and she said I mean she didn't come out and say yes absolutely we did it to um, you know respond to France's performance but she did say that you know we were waiting for our turn and we wanted to make a good first impression Um, I think Megan Rapino, when she was asked about it she said you know we don't need to make a statement and I think she's right. I think everyone kind of knows what the U.S. is about and what they can do. But I do think there was an element of, you know, this is our chance to show kind of that we're we're ready for this moment, put everyone on notice. And I think it's, you know, it's a confidence builder. They talk so much about, you know, goal differential matters. Mm-hmm. We want to get as many goals as possible because it's a tiebreaker. But I think there's an element of just – um building confidence and Jill Ellis in her press conference talked a lot about the feeling that the players got from the game and you want players to have that sort of feeling as they're continuing. So I think it is, you know, it's, it's that mental side of things. It's that showing people what we're about, showing people what we can do, feeling like we're in a good place. I think that was just as important Mm -hmm. as, you know, talk of goal differentials. So then looking ahead to this next game against uh, Chile, uh, the Fox uh, studio panel was just discussing squad rotation. Heather O'Reilly pointed out that in 2015, Ellis used, I think, 20 of the 23 players in the squad. Do you think we see changes against Chile uh, from the starting 11 we saw against Thailand? Well, I think, you know, Becky Sauerbrunn was left out and Mm -hmm. the official word was that um, 
there was a issue. The word injury <laughs> was not used conspicuously. It was called a minor issue, and it was termed as being preventative in nature. So <laughs> I kind of think Becky Sauerbrunn was just being rested, mm-hmm. and that was like a a nice way to say that without making it sound like they weren't taking Thailand seriously. Um, and I think Chile is definitely better than Thailand. Um, the U S is not going to win 13 to zero, but I do think the U S could win like four to zero or Mm -hmm. something. So, um, you know, with some of the older players, player like Becky Sauerbrunn, maybe there will be, some rotation. I, I think that Becky Sauerbrunn will come back because even though she is a veteran and she's played in a lot of World Cups before, I'm sure that before the real quote unquote real game start uh, when the U.S. plays Sweden, I think that Jill Ellis will probably want Becky Sauerbrunn to kind of feel like she's in a rhythm with the team and, um, you know, in a good place. Um, so I do think we could see more rotation. I don't know. Um maybe necessarily what that would look like because usually the substitutes and the rotation on the seam is the attacking players. Um, and you know, all the substitutes were attackers, so they got time on the field. Um, you know, maybe a player like, uh, Tierna Davidson could maybe start cause this is, this is an easier opponent. Uh, it'll probably be a good way to ease her in. Um, because, you know, at this point, I don't know where she falls on the depth chart, but it's certainly not out of the realm of possibility that someone like her is going to be needed. Mm-hmm. So, you know, maybe this is an opportunity to get some of these players uh, start in a World Cup, make them feel comfortable before things, you know, start to get really serious. Um, well, another talking point uh, heading into the tournament was like the United States' speed or relative lack thereof when it comes to the back line. Um, so some were pointing out that like Julia Ritz sliding back in there for a uh, an issue for Becky Sauerbrunn, I, I guess is what we're going with. Um, and that maybe the, that might be a change that we end up seeing a, be a bit more permanent. And then you have uh, Sam Ewis allowed to start in midfield. Do you think that's possible? Or is it more likely that once we get to the knockout rounds, when the United States is looking for their full strength team, it goes back to Sauerbrunn, Dahl Kemper as your two center backs, Julia Ertz ahead of them? Well, I think... You know, if you'd asked me that a few months ago, I probably would have said no, because Jill Ellis had Mm -hmm. been pretty obvious about what her preferred lineup was. And Jill Ellis really didn't seem to rate Samantha Mewis. Mm -hmm. Mewis really didn't get many minutes over like the last two years. It's only right before this World Cup that she was starting to get playing time and kind of showing how much quality she had and that she, you know, might deserve to be a starter. And, you know, Thailand, grain of salt, whatever. I think Sam Mewis had a good game. And you could put Samantha Mewis in that central midfield and not feel like you're sacrificing a lot. And if that does put Julie Ertz in a position where maybe... She can offer, um, you know, some more leadership, some more steel, some more speed on the back line. Um, I th- I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, I don't know if that's what Jill Ellis has in mind. Um, I tend to think that, you know, it's just that Becky Sauer runs one of the older players on the team. So, you know, she wanted to rest her. Um, but I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility with the way that Samantha Mewis has been playing and, 
you know, especially in the sendoff series and now in this first game, I think she has proven that she belongs as a starter. The question was always, well, who do you take off to do that? Mm -hmm. Are you really going to take Julie Ertz off the field? Maybe you just move Julie Ertz into a different position. So if I were if I were putting you under pressure right now and asking you to give us your like rough idea of a starting eleven, which I guess is what I'm going to do, um, wh- who do you think <laughs> starts against Chile? Who do you think is in there uh, either from the opening day uh, squad against Thailand or maybe fr- like from players that were on the bench? Well, given that I have not thought about this at all, <laughs> and I have perfect, not prepared perfect. for this question, um. All right, let's uh, let's yeah. go let's go position by position. We'll start up top then, since that seems to be the focus of the United States. Uh, it was obviously Heath Morgan Rapino against Thailand. Would you expect more of the same? Do you think there's a little bit of rotation just to give more players some experience and maybe like give Alex Morgan some uh, competition for Golden Boot? Yeah, I mean, like if Jessica McDonald, if you want to get her some minutes in a World Cup, maybe this is the game where you mm-hmm. do it. But you also, when you have a game like Alex Morgan just had. Do you want to take her off and risk that, like, that halts the sort of momentum that she has? I mean, you have to expect that against Chile, she's going to play really well. And I remember, I mean, this is going way back, but I remember specifically that April Heinrich said, with Mia Hamm, the risk is when you take her off, you turn off the faucet, Mm -hmm. you stop the goals. And she did that in the, I think, 2003 World Cup. She rested her, and then Mia Hamm didn't score again for the rest of the tournament. Uh so, I don't know. If I had to guess, I still think Alex Morgan is going to start. Mm-hmm. Um, I think maybe with Megan Rapino because, you know, she's one of the more veteran players, maybe you do put in, um, you know, Mal Pugh. Um, you know, I don't know. Uh, and then Tobin Heath, maybe you just start Kristen Press. Uh I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, that's fine. I really am not sure. All right. Well, then, then like one other position I wanted to ask about uh, were the fullbacks because they weren't necessarily playing as fullbacks. Sometimes it was a back three. Sometimes uh, it was just Dahl Kemper hanging out by herself. Um, <laughs> so it, I guess it makes sense to me to kind of keep the same fullbacks in there just on the off chance that Chile are a bit more attacking, do kind of provide a little bit more of a threat, a little bit more kind of practice, I guess, for Sweden. That sounds incredibly arrogant, but given the result against Thailand, I don't really know how to think about this team anymore. Um, so it would make sense to me to play the same fullbacks again, but then you have concerns about kind of fitness and injuries and all and all that uh, sort of issue. So what about there? Have you heard anything about who might play, like who might start at fullback or what Jill has thought of her fullbacks against Thailand? Well, what I will say is... Um... So uh, Carly Lloyd and Mal Pugh were available to the media today. Mm-hmm. And uh, Carly Lloyd actually said that the amount of time in between the games is just too much for yeah. her. And Mal Pugh said the same thing. They kind of want the games to come more quickly. Um, I mean, there's plenty of rest time in between these games for the players, I think. And I mean, one thing about that performance against Thailand is that for as dominant as it was, I think that Kelly O'Hara, Tobin Heath, Rose Lavelle, those players on the right side of the field, I think they could kind of be maybe a little bit more cohesive. I think as the game went on, um, you know, they looked a little more on the same page. But I mean, you might just start the same starting 11 to just give them time yeah. to gel in a situation where 
you know it's going to be a confidence building yeah. situation. No offense to uh, uh, Chile. So maybe you do want those partnerships to have more time together. So maybe you really don't want to change up too much at all. See, this is once again why I'm frustrated with the scheduling because it makes it really hard to predict anything that's going to happen when you win the first (laughs) game the way they did and then have another opponent where you would expect a victory. Uh, So instead of asking you to make predictions about the lineup, I wanted to ask you this. Um, You mentioned the kind of like the gap between the games. How available are players during that time period? You said like Pew, Lloyd made available. Are they like hanging out? Like do you run into the players (laughs) or are they pretty much on lockdown when they're not playing? Um, they're not, they're not hanging out. (laughs) Um, so the way it works is like, so the day after a game is a travel day, they're going to be going to a different city and all of us journalists are doing that as well. So then the next day and the days leading up to the game, every day U.S. soccer makes two players available that we, uh, are able to, we do a, like a press conference format and then there's a format where, Kind of the players split off and you can ask them questions if you didn't get to in the press conference. And that's sort of the rhythm. So today was uh, Carly Lloyd and Mal Pugh. And you've asked me about this a few times, so I'll mention it. Someone did ask of Carly Of course Lloyd. they did. <laughs> Carly Lloyd did ask. Uh, she was asked if she, um, you know, why she is so upfront about wanting to start. And mm-hmm. the implication was whether it makes her a bad teammate. And she said, no, she doesn't pout. Like, it's being honest. If she didn't want to start, there would be a problem. You know, that's, you know, how players should be. Um, so I just, you know, I thought of you because <laughs> we've talked about just, that a few times. I, we've talked about it, but I am happy for that conversation to be over. Like, I just, like, <laughs> what, what do people expect at this point? That she's going to be like, yeah, you're right. I'm being selfish. I'm going to stop now. Like, it's, 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 you know what she's going to say. Yeah. I, that, that to me, I, I had that once uh, on the men's side with like a Gucci and Yewu. I didn't know what to ask him. And I asked him sort of a generic question. And he looked at me with the most contempt anyone has ever looked at me before. So I'm very <laughs> mindful of asking players and journalists for what it's worth uh, the same repetitive questions. So I guess I pity that reporter. Unless it was you, in which case, good question, Caitlin. No, good question. Was, no, okay, no, cool. No, it wasn't me. All right. I, I think it was, yeah. Apparently not everyone has written that um, that story yet. <laughs> apparently. <laughs> um, so yeah, so <laughs> we have uh, two players every day and then the day before a game, Jill Ellis does a press conference with one player. Last time it was Alex Morgan. This time it's going to be Lindsay Horan. Um, I'm not sure how they picked that player, but... Um, So we'll have that. And then it's the day of the game. So that's kind of, you know, those are the breadcrumbs (laughs) that us journalists have to feed on uh, in between the games. And then, you know, once the game is over in the mix zone, you can pretty much grab Mm -hmm. any player you want who is willing to stop. But it's it's chaos trying to, you know, get all these players. They're all coming through at the same time. You have to decide, do I stay in this interview with Kelly O'Hara or should I step to the side because uh, Alex Morgan just walked through. Um, But yeah, it's just kind of, we get what they give us until, uh, until the mix zone. And then even then the players have every right to just walk past. They don't have to talk to you. Final question for you then. But if you had, if like the press officer pulled you aside and said, Hey, you have like your choice of any player you want to talk to, who is the one that you think gives you the most interesting sound bites or gives you the most kind of interesting things to think about or answers to your questions? No hesitation, Megan Rupino. That's what I figured. She, no, I mean, all of the players are great. I think they 
want to be honest and give you thoughtful answers. But I mean, Megan Rapino is just so like she's funny and she's sort of irreverent about things and she just doesn't care in a way that I think is really genuine. Like, I really don't think she cares. <laughs> and it was notable. Um, U.S. soccer had a big media day before they went to the World Cup. And the way it worked is all these players would come out and sit at tables and us reporters could go talk to the players and they would bring out like four at a time. But with Megan Rapino, it was just her because I think they realized that every single reporter in that room wanted to talk to her. So it was just Megan Rapino with like 30 reporters standing around her. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that, that that makes sense. I think she's she's a solid uh, solid nominee. Well, hopefully you get to uh, get a few questions in with her, and hopefully the the Chile game goes well, and everybody's in a good mood, and you keep getting uh, good sound bites from people. But I guess we'll have to wait and see. So that game is Sunday. I'm assuming then that's kind of going to be the f- focus of your next couple of days is preparing for that one. Yeah, yeah. I have a story. Um, we really haven't moved past this whole celebration thing. I yeah. just have to say <laughs> mm. that it is still it's still the story. So I have something in the Guardian um, going up tomorrow. So that that'll be Saturday, kind of about that, but about um, you know the you there are so many teams in sports like the Patriots, the Warriors, people that neutrals just hate. So. You know, you have to kind of think about, is the U.S. women's national team in that conversation now, especially after that game? Um, So, yeah, still writing about that. Haven't moved on yet, but excited uh, for the Chile game. So maybe (laughs) uh, we can stop and people can stop tweeting at me and like yelling at me about how on their kids ODP team, they have a mercy rule. Why did the U.S. women's national team keep scoring goals in a World Cup? Yeah, those are the same thing. Those are the exact yeah, same thing. Definitely. Sure, sure, sure. Sure, 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 sure. Um, well, I'm sorry that people are writing mean tweets to you. Uh, they should not be because your coverage has been excellent and we very much appreciate you coming on the show to talk about the women's national team. Uh, if people do want to read your work, uh, I'm assuming that that article is going to be up on The Guardian. Yes. Yep. Everything is at The Guardian and Hope Solo was a columnist for The Guardian, too. So check it out. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Check that out, too. All right. Well, Caitlin, thank you very much. I I will let you get back to uh, spending time in France, uh, not having access to the players necessarily, but still enjoying (laughs) yourself, I'm guessing. Awesome. Thank you. (laughs) 